Well, always able to be involved, right? It's awesome. Hey, uh, tell you a couple of things um, so that you know what's going on. I'm going to try. I got to look on my, on my message here to make sure I'm telling you right. Uh, first, if you have a kid, a teenager going to NYC, uh, which is a Nazarene Youth Conference, they have, it's going to be happening in 23, right, next summer. Uh, there's a meeting tonight. So if you want to be a part of that, 5 o'clock, make sure that you're here for that. And then uh, we just got back from our uh, Kids Fest in Lubbock, which was a time of competition and uh, different things. And the competition is not just athletic for the children. It's Bible quizzing, and it was just a great time. There's, um, it's like a kids' conference, you know, and all the kids are there, and there's adults there, and everybody gets to do all the things. Well, our kids came away with, let's see if I can remember, 20 medals, uh, five trophies, and a ribbon. A single ribbon. Not sure what the ribbon was for, but it probably was the most important of all of them. Uh, and they, like the, there was a, a girls ensemble, they sang a, a song together. And there was four square, Caden won the four square, by the way, my 10-year-old son. Um, four square, there was basketball free throw shooting. There was, you know, I don't know, just all kinds of things there. And so a Bible quizzing, two of the uh, Bible quizzers are going to move on to regionals, which will be in Oklahoma City at, at SNU. So that's amazing that they were able to do that. Real proud of all of them. If you see Jessica, uh, let her know. And uh, her partner, I guess, that was helping her there, Sarah Dowdy was with her. So um, make sure you say thanks to those for going. I was with them also, but there, there was really not a lot of boys. In fact, um, Caden was the boy. So, you know, we had a good time. But I told Caden, like, this is, I mean... He didn't complain. I'll just say that, you know. <laughs> I think he's getting to the age where he's not complaining about girls. Like he used to complain about girls. Oh, it's girls. And now he's like, oh, it's girls. Uh, we're, we're trying to, you know, navigate that path. But no, it's, uh, it's good. We're happy to be a part. Happy that we have an active uh, children's ministry, an active youth group, and thankful to everybody who makes those things happen. Uh, volunteers and our youth pastor and our children's pastor. So uh, we're just very, very excited. In fact, Jessica is going to have the honor of speaking at an upcoming uh, children's pastor conference, a kids pastor conference. So um, they see the things that she's doing over here and they said, <laughs> this is funny, you'll like this. They, all these other churches they run, they said, man, Lantana just does things different. <laughs> Would you mind talking to us about that? So she's like, yeah, I'll show you how I do it. Anyway, it's going to be good. We're looking forward to that or she's looking forward to that. Um, so we're on the last week though, talking about uh, not a fan. Uh, let me say, pause just a moment. I've been thinking about what God wants to do. And um, I know that, uh, listen guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to make sure that I'm good with your time today. Somebody said, don't apologize. Listen, if the Holy Spirit's moving, I'm not apologizing for that. I'm just saying that I, I am paying attention to time. I don't want everyone to think that I'm like, forget it. You guys can stay. And, um, but we're, I'm, I'm very excited about what God's doing. So the next thing uh, this year, he has, he gave me a word of re-engage. It's time to re-engage. It's time for us to, to, and that's not just in person, but that's pressing in to him. What does that look like to us? And so we started with this series, Not a Fan. Uh, what it means to not be a fan of Jesus, but a completely devoted follower. So the next thing that we're going to be working on is something that I'm really very excited about. Um, we're going to be talking about the mission of God. 
The mission of God. You guys are like, okay, that's good. Hey, listen, you're going to love this. You're going to want to be a part of this. And in two weeks, two weeks from today, we're going to be talking about the mission of God. And I'm calling it, the series is called Upside Down. Um, actually, I think I called it The Upside Down. Uh, for those of you who have ever seen Stranger Things, you'll get it. The Upside Down. So it's going to be good. You want to be a part of that. But when we started the series, not a fan, we talked about a scene, I don't know if you remember, going back to the very first week of uh, Jesus in John chapter 6. And the crowds had began to gather around Jesus. By John chapter 6, he had kind of made a name for himself. He was traveling. He was at the height of his popularity. Word had spread about his miraculous signs and um, his, his uh, inspirational teaching. So huge crowds had begun to follow Jesus where he went. So on this particular day, uh, we're told that there were about 5,000 men. And understanding the way they counted, uh, was, it was just the men that they counted the 5,000. So likely there was an excess, we don't know for sure, but probably somewhere around 15,000, maybe more uh, on that day. So after a full day of teaching and talking, uh, Jesus looked around and realized, hey, uh, these people are going to be hungry. 15,000 people though, that's a lot of mouths to feed. What do we do with these people? Uh, he, so he asked his disciples. So one of the disciples, uh, Philip, says to Jesus, Jesus, if we had eight months wages, it wouldn't be enough to give everybody their fill. Eight months wages. We couldn't buy enough bread. From Philip's perspective, this wasn't their problem. <laughs> As uh, Tom and I like to say, it's not my problem. <laughs> It's not mine. It's their problem. They got to find their own food. But Jesus is compassionate. So another disciple, Andrew, he's been scanning the crowd and he says, hey, Jesus, I got an idea. I saw this boy over here with five loaves and two fish. Now what, Philip? <laughs> I found me some fish. And Jesus is like, oh, I think I got something here. And this is, of course, me. It's not, that's not in the scripture. That's me reading into it. But uh, I can imagine as Andrew makes this announcement, the disciples are like, are you dumb? Five loaves, two fish. Look at him, Jesus. We're going to laugh at this guy. But he looks at Jesus with an air of expectation. Like, hmm, what can Jesus do with this? So Jesus doesn't disappoint. You guys know the story. He takes this little boy's lunch, like a Lunchable, Lunchable. My kids love Lunchables. Do your kids like Lunchables? It's like it's, they want Lunchables all the time. It's like a snack, you know? It's not even that much food. But he takes this little boy's Lunchable. The Bible says that he prayed over it and he broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples and they began to pass out the food. And they passed it out 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 and every person, it says, every person had their fill, which means they all ate as much as they wanted. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet. And they all had their fill. And there was a lot of food left over. It was an amazing time, right? It's an, it's an amazing story that Jesus was able to do this. But we know the story. I don't want to focus on the story. I want to focus on after the story. So after dinner, <laughs> the crowd's sitting around and they decide to camp out. They're going to see what's going to happen the next day with Jesus. I mean, these are committed fans, right? They see what's happening. They're committed fans. So the next morning, all of these people in the crowd, they wake up hungry again, ready for a little breakfast. Jesus, what's on the menu? They're looking around. Wait, Jesus, where'd Jesus go? He's not here. Their meal ticket is gone. Nowhere to be found. 
Eventually they figure out, and you can read the story, that overnight Jesus had went across the lake to the other side of the lake, somewhere else. And so they're like, what is going on? They all wake up and they go around to the lake to chase him down. And by the time they get over there, now it's lunchtime. Now they're really hungry. Like, man, what's he going to do? Like, this guy's feeding us. It's time to, if this is how he can do it. But by this time, Jesus has decided to shut down the all-you-can-eat buffet. He's not handing out free food anymore. If you look in John, verses 26 and 27, Jesus says to the crowd, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me, not because you saw a miraculous sign, but because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. And so Jesus decides, if you remember, the DTR talk. You remember that? Define the relationship. So Jesus decides to have a DTR talk with the crowd, knowing that all these people are not going to all the trouble and sacrifice because they're following him. They're doing it because they're following the food. These are fans of Jesus, but how are they going to respond when the drive through window is closed? So in verse 35, you know what Jesus does? He offers himself. <laughs> what? How do we go from feeding over 15,000 people to offering himself. The question that I want to ask us today is this. Is that going to be enough? Is Jesus enough? Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. There's a, uh, as we're going along, by the way, today, I'm reminded that the um, sermon notes are in the app. If you want to find the sermon notes, go to get the church's app, download that. Um, I, I think we have the wrong PowerPoint here, so just, uh, you can follow along there if you'd like. All right, so let's get into this. We're all over John chapter 6 today. Just so you know, if you're looking in the Bible, it's going to be in John chapter 6. Here's the first thing. When Jesus is the only thing on the menu... You find out how hungry you really are. It's pretty good, right? When he's the only thing, how hungry are we? Man, you guys are quiet today. Everybody okay? Is it the rain outside? It is a little warm in here. Listen, after the floors, then comes the air conditioner, okay? Hang with us. We got a plan. <laughs> when there are no other options, that's when you find out if Jesus is enough. Are we ready to get to the place where Jesus is enough for us? Let me tell you a few stories, a few examples, I should say. I don't want to get too much into the stories, but a few examples of, of some people from ministries, from my ministry, stories that have encouraged me in my life when somebody has discovered Jesus is enough. There was a, a set of young twins who began to come to my youth group once upon a time to say that their life was very unpleasant would be an understatement. Their life was in a downward spiral. I can still remember when they came to us. One day their bisexual sister had killed herself because her girlfriend had broke up with her. I met them the next day at church. Those girls 
gave their lives to Jesus, began a journey of wholeness and completion, and today are serving him at their church. Because they decided that all of these things of the world were not what they wanted. They decided and they determined that Jesus was enough. Jesus was enough for them. I knew a man who had been in drugs, on drugs. He'd been arrested several times. His relationship was starting to fall apart his, with his wife and his children. He finally hit rock bottom. I'll never forget. Teresa was telling a story about a, a young lady. I rem, we were talking about it in the starting point group last night. And she got to the place, this was her husband, where every single time she prayed, she, did, she said, I don't even have words. She said, I don't have words. I just am groaning for God to take over. One day, would you guys believe, one day we were at prayer, which by the way is awesome. We're gonna have another prayer service this Thursday night. We were at a prayer service and this guy came walking, and I didn't know what to expect. He came walking down the aisle, fell down at the altar and began to weep and sob at the altar. And in that moment, he decided that Jesus was enough. He didn't need everything else that he, I remember while he was in jail, he, he had, on some kind of a high, he had went to work and he got into a fight and put a guy in the hospital and they put him in jail. I remember. And his, it, everything was falling apart. Well, he decided that Jesus was enough. Today, his family has been restored. He's back with his wife and his, his young daughters are beautiful and I think one of them's going to graduate next year. Like, because he got to the place where he realized that Jesus was enough. I knew someone who lost their job. They were falling behind on the bills. You guys understand, the stress was taking its toll, not just in his marriage, but in his health. For the first, I remember he told me, for the first time in his life, he was not self-sufficient. He was really struggling with that. For the first time, he said, my prayers are not just repetitive utterances. I found myself really in need, desperate for something, and decided Jesus is enough. Turned his life over to Jesus, walking with him today. At some point in our lives, we have to get to the place where we decide Jesus is enough. Listen, there's plenty of stories I could tell you. You probably could do the same. In, in my own life, in my own ministry, uh, a daughter diagnosed with cancer, parents who get divorced, addiction that seems unbeatable, a future that looks overwhelming, relationships that are falling apart, and something happens. Suddenly you realize that religion just is not enough. It just isn't enough. Suddenly the spectacle, the loaves and the fish, the Sunday service, the healings that we saw, those things in those moments, they just won't cut it. And we're there and Jesus is with his arms wide open saying, come on, <laughs> come on, I got you. And it's in those moments we find out he's exactly what we need. He becomes the only hope. The only hope. So is Jesus enough? Here in John chapter 6, the crowd has to decide if Jesus is enough. They've been hanging around for the perks, for the free food. Is it really about relationship? If you read into that scripture, you'll find out it says they look, 
they looked to make him their king by force. <laughs> Jesus didn't want to be, sneak peek, the kingdom of God is upside down. Jesus didn't come and say, hey, I'm gonna do all these miracles and you elevate me to the leader and y'all follow me everywhere. That's not what he did. He came in and he said, oh my word, look, your feet are so dirty. How many presidents have you seen kneel down and wash somebody's feet? That might make for a good leader to follow, do you think? How many kings do we know that are willing to do that? That's what Jesus did and that's what he said. So are they hanging around for the perks? Or are they hanging around for the relationship? You remember what happened. It, it says that they turned around and went home in John chapter 6. Here's what we read in verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. This, in the long run, is what will happen. In the end, whether we like it or not, most people just won't accept Christ's invitation. They're just not going to do it. In Matthew 7, 22, Scripture tells us this. Many will say to me, Jesus says, Lord, Lord, but I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, we like the idea of heaven. We just aren't accepting Christ's invitation. We like the idea of miracles and, and the bread and the free show. We like that. We like the excitement. But when Jesus wipes all those off the table and offers only himself, there's just not a lot of interest. We read that many of his followers left. Jesus turned to those who remained, verse 67, and he says, you don't also want to leave, do you? Not you too. I don't know how he said that. I don't know if he was frustrated and angry. I mean, just think about what's going on here. He had just the day before fed all these people, 15,000, give or take. They saw what he was capable of. They saw who he was. They saw, and they had walked with them, some of, these, some of them for a while. And when he said, listen, it's not about this. Many of them left. So he turns to them. And, and I, I would have been upset in some way. And we don't know. He does, it doesn't say how he said it. It just says he asked the question. But was he frustrated and angry? My guess is he had a tone of sadness and disappointment. Even though he was God, that must have broken his heart. Let's put it in terms we can understand. What if we started to date somebody? You took them out, maybe took them to the movies or to whatever. First date, had a great time. You bought the popcorn and the drinks and the candies and really treated them. But I think that's exactly what happened on my first date with Frieza. So you ask them, hey, did you have a good time? Yeah, let's do this again. Sure, let's do it again. Take them out again, somewhere nicer, maybe a nice restaurant complete with dessert, a steak, all the stuff. You pay for the ticket, the bill comes, you pick it up, and with each date, you have a little more fun, you do something a little bigger, 
and you decide, I really, really like this person. So you plan a different kind of a date. Just, just things are starting to get a little serious and you say, hey, let's go out again. I, I, I got something special planned this time. They agree, you pick them up and you surprise them. You go for a walk in the park. It's a beautiful day. You talk, you sit on the bench, throw bread for the ducks. Just a good time, just talking, just getting to know each other. Really an intimate time together. Tell them how much you care about them, how you want to make them happy. And just as you finish pouring your heart out to them, they look at you and they say, is this it? <laughs> like this is the date? <laughs> Where's all the fun stuff? Where's the candy and the popcorn and the steak and the, where's the good stuff? You realize that they're hanging around just for the things and not for you. I mean, how would you feel about that? Like that would make us sad, right? That would, that would break our heart. I can imagine that maybe that's how Jesus felt. He had just done the, this great miracle and People are following him and he, he's getting, starting to get a sense. He's like, wait a minute. They're following me for the wrong way. No, no, no. It's, this is about a relationship. I want the relationship. What is this relationship? This, no, this is, this is relationship. Would his most devoted disciples turn out to be just fans? Who, who just when teaching got tough, they, they left? Was the group more focused on the crowds that gathered? Would they abandon Jesus? So in verse 68 and 69, we read their response. Peter said, when he said, are you going to leave also? Remember his closest. He said, you guys going to leave too? <laughs> I can just imagine hearing his voice. Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. I can imagine in that moment his heart just burst. That's right. That's, that's good. This is awesome. I like this. See, because when you really know Jesus as Lord, you don't want to leave him. When you really know Jesus, Peter's answer sums it up. To whom shall we go? Lord, where are we going to go? That one question seems to ask many more questions. Who could lead us like you could? Who could teach us the wisdom that you teach us? Who could possibly bring us closer to God like you can? Jesus, to whom shall we go? We're staying with you. You see, fans will bail on Jesus when the teaching gets tough. Fans will bail on Jesus when he asks them to sacrifice, when he asks them to take up their cross, when he asks them to die. Seriously, if you're trying to gather a group, who presents it that way? It's just not the way you do it. Here in, in our world, we're like, hey, everything's good, and we're going to have candy, and we're going to do fun things, and we're going to come join us. And what, what, how do we sell Jesus? Jesus was like, man, this is going to cost you everything. <laughs> like, I want you to follow me, but you're going to have to die. <laughs> like, it's just... It's upside down. I don't know if you remember that. The upside down. See? It all ties in. I don't know if you remember, a few weeks ago we talked about the cross. People coming in here, they would have been like, you guys are sickos for having a torture device on your wall back there. But Jesus took that cross and he turned it into a symbol of victory. 
And Jesus, that's what he does. He takes things and he says, you know what? You want to you wanna be the greatest? <laughs> You're going to have to be the least. You want to have the biggest kingdom in heaven? You're going to have to have the smallest here. Right? It's just, it's just upside down. And that's what he tells them. You want to follow me? You're going to have to die. You really want to live? It's going to cost your life. What? How do we make sense of that? I think if, if they knew their actions would reflect that knowledge. Fans, it, this is what I mean. If, if you were guaranteed a ticket to heaven, if you had full assurance that Jesus was the Son of God, if you could be 100% positive with no doubt, I think it would change the way that a fan interacts in his life or her life. I mean, who wouldn't stick with it, right? If we had those types of assurances, if we all believed and knew with every ounce of our being, it would be so much easier to swallow the, the tough portions of Scripture. If all of us believed and knew the way the disciples did, I think we'd be willing to stand strong for, for God. Here's the problem, and, and you're, follow me on this. We don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. You're going to probably need to read that in the notes. <laughs> we don't know the way we wish, so we don't believe the way we should. We don't know the way we wish. Let me, how do I explain it? We really can't know how we would like to know Jesus the Lord. We, we wish we could have it all laid out. Um, we wish he would come and write it in the sky. We wish... That somebody could come from heaven and preach a sermon and say, guys, I've been there, I've seen it, this is it, it's great, you're going to want to do this. We wish an angel would come and tap us on the shoulder and say, mm, you need to, mm-mm. <laughs> like that's, that's the way we wish. We wish that it could be that way. We wish that somebody would talk to us the way I'm talking to you now, that God would talk to us like that. That's, that's what we wish. But that's not the way it is. And even for the disciples, I mean, sure, there were miracles, but at this point, they had to choose Jesus. Does that register? They had to choose Jesus, to know and believe that Jesus was the Messiah. You see, because he never came out and said, hey guys, guess what? I was just in heaven. I was born. Now, you know, I'm a person. I, I'm God also. Um, in fact, I'm his son. Like, this is great. You, you want to follow? He didn't do that. That's not how he presented it. He needed to build their faith. He needed to help them understand what faith was. He needed to walk them through that. It's just not the way he presented things. You see, choosing to know, to believe, is, is choosing Jesus. And it's a choice we have to make. It's like uh, free will. It's really a very great example of a practice of free will. If... God were to come down in such a way that created this environment that people really had to choose him. They're like, oh, I see. 
I guess I got to choose God because he was just here this morning and he told me, if, you know what I mean? Like it, it just creates a different, I hope I'm making sense. It creates a whole different atmosphere. But God wants you, Jesus wants you to choose him. He's given you a choice. And, and the thing about this is, and what I want you to understand, and if we could take it away, take anything away from this, it comes down to whether or not Jesus is enough for you. Will you choose Jesus? We don't know the day that he's coming. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know the day, but we know his name. We don't know when health may fall. We don't know when finances are going to plummet. We don't know when we'll die. We never will. Even though we don't know that day, we know Jesus' name. I know on Judgment Day, none of us want to be declared a fan. On Judgment Day, we all want to be followers. And what he's doing now is he's saying, who's going to follow? Who's going to have more of a relationship with me than just a casual relationship because of the miracles I can do or because of the spectacle or because church was so good Sunday or because... Who's going to have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus guarantees if you put your trust in him, he will never leave you. That's the kind of guarantees that he gives us. He guarantees that if you stake your life on his truth, he will stake his life on your eternity in heaven. Jesus guarantees that if you put your trust and hope in him, he will guide you to an eternity with the Father. We don't know the day, but we know his name. And scripture tells us that by his name alone are men saved. Only by the name of Jesus. Not by how good you were. Not by how many times you went to church. Not by how many Sunday school classes you taught. Not by how many kids fest or extravaganzas you went to. Not... It's just by the name of Jesus. By the name of Jesus. But you have to decide. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan or are you a follower? All the guarantees that we wish we could have are for the followers who, re-choose, who, who refuse to leave his side. Followers are close with Jesus. They are relationship with Jesus Followers ask, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One sent from God. And here's the thing about the guarantees I was talking about before. And we're going to close and I'm Bruno and then we're going to come up. We're going to have communion here in a moment. The thing about these guarantees is at some point... Like, I can remember, okay, Sarisa got my mind thinking this morning in the Sunday school class about an encounter that I had. I can remember that I had pushed God away. I was walking without him. One morning I went to take a shower. And, and listen, I was so bound up in bondage to different sin in my life. It was, a, it was a horrible time. I don't know why I ever thought that was the best time or that that would be better. 
But I can remember I went to take a shower and I was feeling depressed. I was living by myself. I was lonely. And I came out and I was overwhelmed by the presence of God in such a way that left no doubt in my mind about who he was. And I can remember in that moment, I laid on the ground. I didn't know what else to do. I had no, I'd never had an encounter like this. I didn't even know what was happening to me. I was like, God, I'm not sure what's happening right now. I can't even stand. I couldn't stand. I literally laid on the ground. I probably have told this story. I, I, I love and hate this story all at the same time, that God had to do this to me, but I'm glad he did. I laid on the ground. I was just flat down prostrate before him my nose was on the carpet in the bedroom I can feel it and I just said God I don't even know I can remember that 20 times I don't even know I don't even know I didn't have words I don't know if you've ever been there I just didn't have words I didn't even know what to say And it's moments like that that I get such a guarantee. I don't need an angel to come and tap me on the shoulder. I don't need, in the in-between time, I feel like I've had all those things, if that makes any sense. I feel like I have such an assurance. And it was then that I said, Jesus is enough. I was set free in a way that I never ever understood could happen. Didn't even know. Set free. I'll say all that to just say this morning, we're going to take communion here in a minute. And as we do that, I'm just going to ask you to think about is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? Is he enough for you? Do you need all this stuff? Do you need all the things? That, does it matter if we have nice floors or good air conditioning or comfortable chairs or five guitars or one guitar? Or, you know, I don't know. Is Jesus enough? Let's pray about that this morning. God, as we get ready to take this communion, We need to answer the question today, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? My prayer is that for each person here, we would say, Jesus, you are enough. I, I hope that nobody has to have an experience like I did to get to such a, a depraved place, such a sad and lonely place before you draw us out. God, help us to, we want to make that decision now. I want four people to make that decision. I know you do also. Choose Jesus. Choose Jesus and save yourself so much turmoil and so much bondage and so much angst. Is Jesus enough? So this morning as we prepare our hearts for communion, we ask that you would help us to be connected to you in a special way. In Jesus' name.